Okay, good morning again. How are we feeling? Alright? It's funny looking at all your lovely faces at this angle. It wouldn't change though, really, would it? We're just sitting in a different place. Um, if you have your Bible with you, can you turn to Colossians? I'm just going to kick some of this out of the way so I don't trip up. Thank you for leading us band in worship, Nick and the band. I just personally felt what a sensitive sense of his presence with us. Um, and I really feel that the Father wants to do a lot this morning, our God. Um, what I've got to share is fairly weighty, quite a lot. Um, and my prayer is that it impacts every one of you sat in here or standing in here this morning, in some way or another. Um, So if you found Colossians, can you turn to chapter 3? I preached two weeks ago, uh, finished off chapter 2, and now we're we're picking it up in chapter 3 again. And my focus this morning, our focus is on four verses, one to four. Hopefully it should come up behind me on the screen. I'm going to read chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. This is Paul writing. Since then, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Father, I pray for this morning. I pray as your word gets preached, I thank you that as your word goes out, it will not return to you empty and void. Thank you that your word is living and active. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are the word that became flesh and came to dwell among us. So I pray for your word this morning that it will get out and it will penetrate the hearts of men and women here this morning. I penetrate my heart afresh. I pray you'd change our lives today, God, in Jesus' name, and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Okay, within these four verses, Paul describes what it means to be in Christ. We hear that word batted around a lot as Christians, in Christ. I feel what Paul is unravelling here are the theological implications or consequences for you and I, or for those that are in Christ. That's what we're going to unpack this morning from these four verses. Paul urges the Colossians to focus on their new identity. Their new identity found in Christ. Not in, if you remember two weeks ago, I talked about other other faiths and religions and ideas and principles that were creeping in. Mysticism, all sorts of different things. Paul here is a tipping point. The next few chapters, Paul is saying, all the doctrines and theology you've heard me preach, now put it into practice. How? By knowing who you are in Christ. By knowing who you are in Christ. So here, brothers and sisters, friends, we have a tipping point. These four verses are very relevant for you. Very relevant for me. Paul is urging them to live in their new position and identity in Christ as the only true motive for righteous and holy living, okay? This is the same for us today, to live a healthy, joyful, victorious Christian journey We've heard this morning, the thread this morning, and the waves will come, the storms will come. But to live healthy, you need to know who you are. You're in a new position. 
you're in a brand new position. We're in a new position this morning, right? Bit of excitement, bit of unsettlement, the unknown. Remember that first time that God called you in Christ? The unknown, the uncertain. Nine years on for me, I'm still uncertain. But I know that he's called me. I know that he's grabbed hold of me. I know that he's saved my soul for all eternity. For some of you that have been Christians now for a couple of weeks, I want to tell you that you're in Christ. That's where you are. That's where you're seated this morning. Kelly, where are you? I saw you this morning. Lee, you're in Christ. Those that are baptised, you're in Christ. So I have three points that I want to make from these verses that Paul is unravelling for us. Point one is really the pivotal point. Without point one, everything else falls to bits. Point one, straight into it, Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified, is alive today. Christian, do you know that? Friend, visitor, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. This is the most important statement that you'll ever hear. And I'll explain why. It is the basis of our Christian faith. Jesus was killed by Roman crucifixion, which was the most heinous of tortures back in the day. That's why it's now banned. That's why it's not, it, it was pulled out. It was the most heinous of, crucif- uh, of tortures, nailed to a wooden cross where the person was hung. They're suffocating, bleeding to die. He died. His body, his dead body, was taken down from the cross. It was buried in a tomb under Roman guard. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead in brand new life. Brand new life. I'm not, I'm not saying he, he died and somehow he was resuscitated. His heart stopped briefly and he was resuscitated. Jesus rose in brand new life. Brand new life. We're going to look at that as well. We have eyewitness accounts through Jesus' resurrection in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It's Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20 and 21, really. Look at them in your own time. These are factual, written accounts by people that were with Jesus, people that followed Jesus, people that saw Jesus captured, tortured, crucified, now risen. These are accounts... Then throughout the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, Jesus' followers, they go from a desperate, terrified bunch of chickens to this bold army marching across the world, declaring and proclaiming this Jesus that was once dead, but is now alive. Once dead, now alive. Wayne Grudem, a man who studies the Bible, writes this, Christ's resurrection was not a simple coming back from the dead, as I've touched on, as others had experienced, such as Lazarus in John 11. Rather, when Christ, when Jesus rose from the dead, he began a new kind of human life, in which he had a perfect body that was no longer subject to weakness, ageing, decay, death. When Jesus rose from the dead, he had a body that would live eternally. Jesus' new body was a physical body, For when his disciples saw him, they took hold of his feet. His disciples ate and drank with him after he'd risen from the dead. 
his new body, Jesus took bread and broke it. He also invited Thomas, remember? Doubtful Thomas, to come, touch my hands, my side. Come touch my side. The Bible is clear that Jesus physically rose from the dead with a body made of flesh and bones. And I want that to just, I want to lay that over you this morning. Jesus is still very much this morning fully man and fully God. And he is alive and reigning. Paul wrote this in Corinthians to the Corinthian church. Also the the guy that wrote Colossians, Paul writes this. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul seems to have this as very important. The whole aspect that he was killed, that he was buried and that he rose again. This is very important. Later on in the same letter to the Colossians, he says, and if Christ, some seem to be doubting the resurrection. Okay? So he says, and if Christ has not been raised, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Listen, if Christ hasn't been raised, my preaching this morning is absolutely bunk. It's useless. And so is your faith. So is your faith. Again, further on, and if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. A guy called R.C. Sproul, another Bible scholar, writes, to deny that Jesus' body was raised from the tomb destroys the message of the gospel. It absolutely destroys it. Simply put, no resurrection, no gospel message. No gospel message, no good news. No good news, you are still in your sins. If you are still in your sins, you have not been saved. And if you have not been saved, you will not receive eternal life. No gospel message, no forgiveness of sins. We have no message. Sorry, no resurrection. We have no message. No resurrection, no gospel message. We follow a crucified and risen Saviour. This is fundamental to our faith. Crucified, yet risen. That's the whole reason why I'm standing here this morning worshipping with you. Because I met a risen saviour. I didn't follow your faith. I met a risen saviour. I hope you have as well. Jesus is alive. In the light of this, we will now go on to the next two points. I wanted to cast this out because he says, since then you've been raised. So it alludes to Jesus. You've been raised with Christ. Okay? So Jesus must have been raised. So I wanted to cast out point one, Jesus is alive. Since then you've been raised. So here are the next two points. The next one, point two, the ramifications for us are quite massive. They are quite massive. His resurrection changes everything for all eternity. And it has the power to change your destiny this morning. It has the power to change your life as it has mine. It changes our present and it changes our future. This is what we're going to unravel a little bit. Paul, in these four short verses, unpacks, I think, what it means to be in Christ. Our regeneration. What does that mean? Since Jesus rose from the dead, because of Jesus' resurrection, it ensures for us our regeneration. Verse 1 in Colossians says, 
chapter 3, since then you've been, you've been raised. Verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What does, what does that mean? The Bible says that before Christ, we were dead in our sins. Totally dead in our trespasses and sins. We were slaves to sin, it says that in Ephesians. In Romans, we were slaves to sin. Also in Romans, there was no good thing in us. Can I tell you that outside of Christ, even inside really, there's, there's no good thing in you. It's all, it's all of Jesus. Jesus is very good. So Jesus' goodness makes, makes you good. But outside of Christ, there was, there was junk in me. There was no good thing. Our understanding was darkened and our hearts were hardened. So this is what regeneration means. Those that turn to Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, have received rebirth, the Bible calls it. Recreation, a new heart. They've been born again. They've received a new life. The spiritual renewal of someone has taken place. That's what's happened. You hear this term batted around, don't you? Are you one of those born-again Christians? Or are you just a normal Christian? To be a Christian means you need to be born again. You need to be born again. That's what regeneration means. You've, you've got a new heart. You turn to Christ and you get rebirth, recreated, raised anew, born again. 1 Peter 1.3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Because of the resurrection. A man named John Piper writes this, The new birth is something that happens in us when the Holy Spirit takes hold of our dead hearts and unites them with Christ by faith so that his life becomes our life. So it makes sense that Jesus must be raised from the dead in order to give us life and union with him. Jesus died, we died. Jesus rose, we rose. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to have a new heart. That's what it means to experience regeneration. Who were here for the baptisms last week? What a great morning. Baptisms is a, through this text as well, I think Paul is touching a lot on what baptism is a picture of. Remember we watched the people walk into the pool, signifying dying to their old life, and then the the waters of baptism come over them, signifying that they've been buried with Christ. And then as they came up out of the water, everyone, yay, signifying that they've risen to brand new life in Christ. Their hearts have changed. So baptism last week was a wonderful picture of what regeneration looks like. I have been crucified with Christ And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is what Paul writes. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Regeneration was always God's plan to bring back a rebellious humankind back to himself. He always intended to change men's heart. Men and women, I mean by that. Old Testament prophecy from Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26 This is years before Jesus came. I will sprinkle, this is God, right? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. Thank you, Jesus. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart 
and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove the heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. If you're here in Christ this morning, you've got a new heart. Do you know that? You've got a brand new heart. You might feel like a grumpy old so-and-so at times, but you've got a brand new heart. That was my experience. Was that yours? The moment I accepted Christ, the moment that Jesus broke into my life, my, I, I felt my heart change. I felt my old heart just be ripped out of me. And just this new heart, this funny old compassionate heart, this melting for the, the lost and the lonely heart break out within me. Have you got that heart? A heart that yearns for Christ. A heart that wants to see these seats filled with those that don't know him. In Christ, your hearts have been changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And there should be evidence in your life of this. The work of God, there should be evidence of a brand new heart in your life. If, you, if there isn't, I would say you're not born again. If you haven't received this change of heart, you're not born again. The results of a regeneration, having a new heart. I was once lost. In Christ, I've been found. I was once a sinner. Sinner. Totally lost. And in Christ, I'm now called a saint. Do you know, I found out what my name means, Santino. Do you know what it means? Little saint. <laughs> it does. My wife, my mum, they remind me of that every other day. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a saint. Amen. Thank you, Samuel. If you're in Christ, you aren't a sinner. You're receiving condemnation over your lives. You're a saint. Paul writes the churches to the saints at Ephesus. To the saints. King's Church Hastings. You're a saint. I was once guilty, totally guilty, and I'm now justified. I stand right before God. I was once separated from God, and I needed to hear this because I didn't know a father's love. And he now pulls me in and says, you're my son. We relate to him as sons. Paul is reminded in the Colossians here and the believers of their identity and position of Christ. And I want to remind you of that this morning. You have been raised with Christ in brand new life. It starts now. It has started now. The present. The present. Your heart has changed. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is Paul's message to them. As he's trying to steer this desperate church back, Jesus is all you need. Because Jesus is all you have. He's in you. In the light of this, we need to live out of our regenerate positions with new hearts, new passions, new interests, new desires, new lives. We need to keep dying to our old life because it has no claim over us any longer. We can live new lives that aren't dictated to by our past? Does your past dictate to you that you're worthless, good for nothing? Maybe you've experienced all sorts of abuse and mental turmoil, physical turmoil. Do you know in Christ you can be free? Totally free. I'm not saying you don't need to work it out and life isn't tough, but Jesus gives us a total, total and fresh start. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ. Within these verses, I want to get practical now. This is what Paul says. Set your hearts and minds on things above. Because you're regenerate, 
Okay? Because you're regenerate, because you've been born again, because you're in Christ, set your hearts on things above. Why? Why? Because that's where Christ is. And where Christ is, is where you are. That's why we set our hearts and minds on things above. What does it mean? How do we set our minds on things above? I've been looking at this passage over the last week or so, just kind of, what is it? How, how do I put my mind there? How do I play, take my heart there? Think about it now. How, how do you put your heart somewhere? When Paul says the word set, I'll just look this word up. It means to put, to place, to locate, to deposit, to position, to rest, to rest. Rest, my soul, we were singing about that. To rest, to park, I like that. To plonk, to situate. So it's about situating, it's about locating, it's about depositing, pushing your heart somewhere. To position something somewhere or to leave something somewhere. So it's about leaving our hearts and our minds where Christ is, where we are seated with him in the heavenly realms, in heavenly places. We need to position our hearts with Jesus. So how's your heart this morning? How is your heart this morning? Where is your heart positioned? This is what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set, I have located my heart on your laws. This is what the psalmist writes. I have chosen, so I have set. I have parked my heart in the way of your laws. Also, Psalm 84, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Psalm 84, 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on a pilgrimage. Well, I love that. What's a pilgrimage? A journey. Blessed are those who have located or positioned their heart on a journey with God. Have you positioned your heart to be on a journey with God through thick and thin, through ups and downs, through the ugliness of life, through the joys of life? Is your heart journeying with the Lord? Or has it parked itself away from him? Only you will know that. So where does your heart linger? Where have you set or located your heart? Does your heart get easily drawn into earthly or worldly things, worldly stuff? Because, you know, God wants your whole heart. I'm learning. Nine years on, it's, I'm still new, you know, I'm a mere whippersnapper compared to, I'm not looking at anyone. But I'm still learning that he just wants my whole heart. He wants everything. Whole heart. Let's look at our minds. Paul writes this in Philippians. Their destiny is their destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Do you know why? Because their mind is on earthly stuff. That's how he finishes that verse. Their mind is on earthly things. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your underlying mind. Love him with all your mind. Sometimes we get into this delusion about, oh, we're just, we're just, he, my spirit is with the Lord, but my, my flesh, I'm still, I'm still doing silly stuff. My mind is thinking of crazy things. We're told to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. He wants our hearts, he wants our minds, he wants our all in all. 
First part of Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Are you setting a course to get your mind renewed? Are you still battling with similar things that you've battled with? Sinful things? Or is your heart being renewed unto its creator? So where does your heart linger? Where does your mind linger, sorry? What do you then set? Where do you locate your mind? This is a real challenge, isn't it? Challenge for me. When anxiety sets in, when anxiety comes and grips hold of you, where does your mind go? To your anxiety or to the king? To Jesus? Who says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, bring your request to me, I'm paraphrasing, and I'll give you peace that go beyond your understanding. This is, I think, how we can get practical with setting our minds somewhere and our hearts. In Philippians, Paul gives us this very simple application. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Is that you? Do you think about those sort of things? True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. God wants your minds. We need to have the mind of Christ. This is my final point. Jesus is alive, so he restores our connection with the Father. Jesus is alive, so he gives us a regenerate, a brand new heart. Jesus is alive, so it ensures our future resurrection. So our present, Jesus has changed you. You've received every spiritual blessing, it says in Ephesians 1, in Christ. Everything you've received. But what does that mean, Sam? But I'm still limping, I'm still suffering. Your inner man has been totally renewed. Totally renewed. One day you're out of man, you're out of shell, we'll be brand new as well. It's a deposit. You've received a deposit within you that says, I'm coming back for you. I haven't finished. You've been made new from the inside out. And one day, because Jesus rose, you will rise also. We're going to look at that. Colossians 3, 4, the last verse of these four verses that I'm unravelling for us this morning. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When I looked at this, I thought, thank you, Lord. Do you know, who needs a new body? I hope you've all got your hands in the air. We all need new bodies. This, my friends, is the pinnacle. This is what creation has been groaning for. This is what our bodies desperately need to be made new again. I just want to read you something from this wonderful book called Raised with Christ. And this chap called Adrian Warnock who wrote this, I love this, listen to this. When our life is going well, we are just in an interlude between troubles. There is no happiness that this world cannot give us that can be taken away in an instant. A telephone call, a visit to the doctor, a short message that can suddenly bring everything crashing down around us. We must be realistic about the world we live in. Jesus never promised to remove all hardships from us. So people... Even, some people even report when they became Christians, it was almost as if their problems had just began. 
begun. Christians must experience pain in this world. Paul declares, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In Acts 14. And also, all who desire, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy. Without suffering, without suffering, we cannot enter the glorious resurrection Jesus has won for us. We need to understand this in order to live well and to prepare ourselves to die well. A doctor who works in the hospice told me that she had been working with Christian children who were calmly dying full of confidence in their best friend, Jesus. We can face death without fear when we understand what we will gain. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be reunited with him in his resurrection. That's what Paul writes in Romans. Jesus' resurrection ensures our resurrection. Perfect, perfect, brand new bodies. This should bring us hope. Our bodies are fading. Friends, your bodies are fading. Your bodies are fading. They're ageing. They're wearing away. We will get sick and we will die. Let's have the band back up. (laughs) Suffering in this world is something that we all face. I know many of you, many of you know me, I know many of your circumstances, and it humbles me to know what you've been through. Suffering is something that we face. It's something that the Bible tells us to expect. I've experienced a great deal of suffering over the last few months, as I know many of you have. Lots of examples here. Physical death is also something that we will all experience, whether we like it or not. And it fills some with great fear, but you see some wonderful saints that die full of hopeful confidence, knowing that they're just shutting their eyes when they open them again, they're face to face with their Saviour. Is that you this morning? Mankind, we need hope after the grave. This is what the Gospel gives us. This is what Jesus gives us. What is life all about, folks? You might be here this morning thinking, I really don't know why I'm here. I don't know what you're banging on about. I just feel like I needed to come. I feel like I've wandered away. We all die. We all die. I've experienced a lot of death over the last couple of years. And it's brought me back to the central place to think Jesus came to defeat death once and for all. Mankind needs hope through suffering and especially after death. This is what Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who lives in me will live, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. Let me read this slowly. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me, will never die. Wayne Grudem, a chap I mentioned earlier, who's a great Bible scholar, writes this, the most extensive discussion of the connection between Christ's resurrection and ours is found in 1 Corinthians 15. We'll look at that briefly in a mo. There, Paul says that Christ is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. In calling Christ the firstfruits, Paul uses a metaphor from agriculture to indicate that we will be like Christ, just as the first fruits 
or the first taste of the ripening crop show what the rest of the harvest will be like. So as Christ is the first fruit, he shows what the rest of our resurrection bodies will be like when in God's final harvest he raises us from the dead and brings us into his presence. Let me just read you that just so I can uh, back it up with scripture. This is what he's, Wayne Grudem is alluding to. Listen, he says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable. And we will be changed. For the perishable, that's me and you, we're perishable, must clothe itself with the imperishable. And the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has clothed itself with the imperishable and mortal with immortality, then this is what will be said. This, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Paul says that the trumpet will blast. We don't know when. We don't know when. And those that are found to be in Christ, like us, normal, everyday men and women, They've got all sorts of different backgrounds, not religious folk, those in Christ. Those in Christ will be given brand new resurrected bodies that won't spoil, perish or fade. The Bible teaches us that Jesus' return, on his return, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. You'll see that in Revelation 21. And the followers of Christ will be in God's presence forever on a brand new earth. Like this, but perfect not floating around like spirits. I don't know what you think eternity is going to be like. You're not going to be an odd spirit just floating around. You're going to be like you are now, material, but perfect in every, every way. I'm looking at you, Pam. One day your arm will move again. Hallelujah. One day we'll push our walking sticks away. We'll be on a material earth with very real material bodies not floating around. There will be no more suffering, there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears, no more mourning, no more death. New bodies, new heavens, new earth, in God's presence forever, death has been swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. So in conclusion, those that have turned to Christ in faith for salvation, the forgiveness of their sins now share a new, brand new identity and position in Christ. They they, they identify themselves with his death, burial and resurrection. And it is now for you, brothers and sisters, in Christ, to live out of your new position in Christ. Live out of it. Live in the good of it. Live in the good of knowing your hearts are new. Live in the good of knowing that one day you're going to get a brand new body that will never spoil, perish or fade and you'll be living with him forever. You've died with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. You're now joined and seated with Christ where he is, at the right hand of God. That's how important you are. You can now set, you can choose with a new heart to set your heart and mind on him, where he is. And you're going to spend eternity with him. I heard someone once say, life in in the here and now, compared to life in glory with Jesus, is like spending one night in a bad hotel. 
But it's not even that long, is it? You know, how can we put an end to it? How can we put time to it? Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you that as, as we look at your word, as we look at your promises, as we look at your truth, it fills us with joy. It fills me with joy, knowing that you'd come and you'd rescue such a man like me, someone that was far away from you, someone that was running away from you, that you came and you rescued me, you came and you rescued us. Lord Jesus, I pray for your word today to be living and active among us. I pray that it would change each and every one of us. I pray for those that don't know you here this morning. Break into their lives, Lord. Break into their lives. For those that do know you here this morning, break into their lives. I pray you'd we'd see you for who you are, for your glory. Looking forward to being with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.